0: The passage of Scripture we'll be looking at this morning is found in Second Timothy chapter three. Last week we looked at the first half of this chapter, and this morning we'll be looking at the second half, which begins in verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'll be reading verses 10 through 17. Please give your full attention to God's holy and errant word. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. I have been a fan of the music of Bob Dylan ever since the very first day of my freshman year in college. I had just moved into my dorm room and an upperclassman from down the hall came down introduced himself to me and as we got to know each other uh, we found out we had a common interest in music and part way through that conversation he just grabbed me by the arm and said, I've, I've got something you've got to hear. And so he dragged me down the hall to his room and plopped me down right in front of his stereo and he put on the turntable in front of me the newly released album of Bob Dylan called Slow Train Coming. It was a life-changing event. It was love at first listen. I, you know, Bob Dylan was before my time a bit. I always wondered why somebody who was supposedly one of the greatest musicians and artists of the 20th century wasn't given the gift of singing. But, As I listened to that album, I was blown away by the music. But then, as I listened carefully, I was shocked by what the lyrics said. All the lyrics on that album were about faith in Jesus Christ. I was stunned. And that day began a lifelong devotion to Dylan's music. And beyond that, a deep fascination with his spiritual life after slow trade coming he came out with two more albums which were full of equally bold and clear orthodox gospel centered lyrics he regularly preached the gospel from the from the stage when he had concerts his biblical orthodoxy during this period even now looking back on it all these years later was absolutely remarkable. Let me share with you the lyrics, if you're not familiar with his Christian phase, let me share with you some of the lyrics from one of my favorite songs of his, a song called Simply Saved. The song starts with these words. I was blinded by the devil, born already ruined, stone cold dead as I came out of the womb. But by his grace I have been touched. By His word, I have been healed. By His hand, I've been delivered. By His Spirit, I've been sealed. I am saved, saved by the blood of the Lamb. I want that song added to the hymnal. I mean, that is that is profound <laughs> biblical gospel lyrics. There's even some deep theology in that. His non-Christian fans, of course, were outraged. Christians didn't know what to make of him and I think what was most shocking is that Dylan was known through up up to that point in his career was known for being extremely enigmatic about what he believed what he thought what his views were on politics on life in general and his lyrics were very obtuse you know it's the kind of thing where you kind of read into it what you think he means but you're never quite sure what he really means and yet for that period He was blatantly performing some of the most Christian music that I'd ever heard. But after about three albums, he began to revert back to his mysterious lyric writing and obtuseness and (laughs) veiled references in his interviews. And people started to say, well, okay, he doesn't believe the gospel anymore. He's not a Christian anymore. And even today, they talk about that brief period many decades ago as his Christian phase and most people believe he either went back to Judaism or went to secular belief and they just think that he's totally turned his back on all of that from that period of his life. But I have in my fascination with his spiritual life I've become a bit of an expert on Bob Dylan and I've read every biography I can get my hands on I've read all the interviews he's done that I can find. and. I'm fascinated because based on my research, he has never denied the faith. He has never recanted his hope in Christ. And yes, he speaks in mysterious ways, but if you read carefully with a Christian perspective, you find that he's still affirming, I believe, a biblical faith. I don't know his life. I can't observe his life. Matter of fact, nobody gets to observe Bob Dylan's life. So I don't know how he lives. I just know what he says, what he writes, is still consistent with a profession of faith. I don't know. I'm not trying to tell you that Bob Dylan's faith is genuine and that we'll see him in heaven one day. I can't tell you that. Only God knows his heart. But I'm just using him as a way of illustrating the fact that faith is... A gift from God, according to scripture, that is fascinating mostly in how we try to determine how other people's faith is it genuine? Is my faith genuine? Because only true saving faith in Jesus Christ will lead to salvation. And the Bible teaches, as I've studied the Bible more and more, I'm more and more convinced the Bible teaches clearly that if faith Which is a gift from God. We aren't born with the ability to have faith in Christ. But if God gives you the the gift of faith. And it's real. God is faithful to his promise to preserve that faith. To protect that faith. To sustain that faith. To be sure that you don't lose that faith. And so if it's real. It will persevere. That's what the scriptures teach. And so that's why Bob Dylan is such an interesting case study for me. Is it real or isn't it? If it's real, it will persevere because God is faithful to what he has promised to do. Jesus challenged us to be assessing our own faith. He doesn't want us to be, you know, overly consumed and kind of totally internalize everything all the time. But he does want us to be assessing our faith to be sure that it is real. To be sure that it is a genuine gift from God in the Sermon on the Mount, he ends it interestingly, he preaches this great sermon, and he gets to the end of it, and he talks about some people on the day of judgment are gonna stand before him as the judge, and they're gonna talk to him about all the great things that they did in his name, the great miracles they did, the great things that they performed in his name, and he's gonna look at them and say, I never knew you. And then he goes on, he ends with this metaphor, this picture, this illustration, Let me read these last few verses from the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. He was talking about faith. Some faith and trust in Christ is built on a rock and it stands no matter what comes against it. But other faith is fake. It's false. It's not real. And when the storms of life hit and it gets tested and tried, it falls apart. Uh, we've been looking at 2 Timothy and particularly in chapter 3. But really through all of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy has been repeated warnings from Paul, the apostle, to his his uh, disciple Timothy, who's now pastor of the church in Ephesus, continual warnings to him about the false teachers that are inside the church. And here, you know, I want you to think about who is a false teacher? A false teacher is somebody who once professed faith, who once believed, said they believed the gospel and lived as though they believed the gospel, but somehow they have gone astray. They have departed from the gospel They have departed from the truth, and they now deny the things that they said they affirmed. And not only have they gone astray, but they're leading others astray. These are the kinds of people that Paul is warning Timothy about. In verse 14, the first half of the chapter talks about these false teachers. We saw that last week. But in in the second half, he begins to address Timothy. And in verse 14, we get basically the main text from this part of chapter 3. He says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. I'm sure with all these warnings, Timothy has to be thinking to himself, well, I believe the gospel. I've made a profession of faith. I'm teaching the truth. How do I know that I'm not going to one day become like these false teachers and turn away from truth and turn away from Christ? How does God sustain and protect the faith that he gives to us if it's real? Well, Paul points in this chapter to two gifts that God has given us to make our faith strong. To ensure that it will endure through all the trials and temptations of life. And this passage, you can basically divide this passage into two sections which deal with with both of these things that God has given us. For the sake of the protection and strengthening of our faith, the Word of God and those who teach the Word of God to us. Those are the two gifts that are given to us to protect and strengthen the gift of faith. That's how God sustains it. Both of them are found in verse 14. Let me read the rest of the verse Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. God is truth, God is the source of all truth. God gives us truth in the written word, the word of God, the scriptures. But this God is a relational God, and it's always fascinating to me that by giving us his word, he gives it to us in the hands of other sinners who have been called by him and prepared for him and gifted by him to teach it to us, to train us in the word. God is a relational God, and it's interesting that he teaches us in the context of relationships with mentors, teachers, preachers. And so Paul begins, I mean, I, if I were writing this letter to Timothy, I would probably start with the word of God, but he actually starts with the teachers. And he, in a sense, is going back to this analogy that Jesus used as the life of faith is being like a house. And he's saying basically that as God builds that life of faith, as God builds that house that is your life of faith, he uses builders, teachers, to teach you the word. And these trustworthy builders. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about another building that Christ is building, talking about the church. And he uses the analogy, the metaphor of a building there as well. But he's thinking of a specific building, not just any building, but the Old Testament tabernacle and temple which represented the presence of God dwelling, abiding in the midst of his people. And he says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16, do you not know that you, the church, are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? And so the church, as you think of us corporately, we're talking about us as individually, is like houses of faith, but the church is like the temple, it's it's the place where God dwells, it's a house of faith as well. But earlier in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, for we, and he's talking about the apostles and the elders of the church, we are God's fellow workers. You are God's building. And so God calls, raises up, and prepares teachers to build the faith of the church. And the purpose of that is spelled out. It's it's, um, a beautiful, another kind of a different variation A different metaphor that he uses over in Ephesians chapter 4, a very familiar passage. But again, remember what I said. God gives the gift of faith, but he also gives the gift of teachers, preachers, mentors to build that faith. And that's really what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 4. He talks about how Christ died for our sins, was raised from the dead, ascended to his throne on high, and then he gives gifts to the church. And listen to the description of those gifts. by human cunning, by craftiness in, hum- in deceitful schemes. You see what he's saying is that Christ, having obtained our eternal redemption, then gives to the church the gifts of its teachers, preachers, evangelists, mentors. Gives these gifts to the church to build up and strengthening that faith, to mature that faith to the point that when the trials come, when the storms hit, when life gets difficult, when the winds blow, we will not be t- tossed around like the waves. We will, will not be shifted to and fro by human deceitfulness and false teaching. That we will be built upon the rock and we will stand firm. So that's why it's in that picture that having that mental image in your mind that Paul begins this part of the passage by reminding Timothy of his relationship with Timothy and the impact that it has had. He says, you, going back to verse 10, you, unlike the false teachers in Ephesus, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life. Now, the word followed here, we can use the word followed in many different senses. And it was that true in in the Greek language as well. But the Greek language is a little more specific. And the word for followed here is not... The kind of followed like if there's some celebrity, like I follow Bob Dylan's life, you know, he doesn't know me, I have no relationship with him, but I've followed his life and the ups and downs and everything, you know, like you, you, you might say, I follow you on Instagram or I follow you on Facebook, you know, you, you, you just kind of track somebody's life, you're aware of little snippets of their life that they put on social media, that's, that's the kind of following that some people think of, that's not the kind of following that, that Paul's talking about here. It's more like follow around like a little puppy. That's the kind of following. You know, I, my dog Dash, when I'm home, if he's awake, which sometimes he isn't, but when he's awake, he follows me everywhere. And, and not just that, he doesn't just follow me everywhere, but he, it, when I look at it, if I'm doing something mundane, you know, washing dishes or something, look, and he's staring at me, and it kind of creeps me out. But, he does that all the time. That's, that, you know, that's his life when I'm home, is to follow me around and stare at me and watch everything I do. He really needs to get a life. But <laughs> it, that's the kind of following. When, when, when Paul says, Timothy, you followed me. You've not just observed my life, you've been part of my life. You have been changed by your experience of the bonding that we've had together in life and ministry Paul led Timothy to Christ on his first missionary journey and he'd mentored him he taught him prepared him equipped him and then took him along with him on his second missionary journey from church to church to church as Paul went planting churches and strengthening churches Timothy was with him 24 7. you want to get to know another Christian really well Go on a missions trip with them. Have you ever done that? Ten days, two weeks, four weeks? It's amazing the bonding that will happen when you go on a mission together, you suffer together, you solve problems together, and you come back from those mission trips. I've found as a church leader, when people come back from a missions trip, you kind of have to kind of talk them down a little bit and you have to kind of help them deal with real life again because you've gotten so close to this group of people and it's almost, it's weird how intimate the relationships become. Well, that's what happened with Paul and Timothy. It wasn't just a two-week missions trip. This went on for months and months. Years Paul had worked with Timothy in different settings and different ways. What did Timothy experience during his travels with Paul? Well, Paul lists them in detail. He first mentions his teaching. Think about it. Not only did Paul, on the missionary journeys, in different locations, not only did Paul do daily one-on-one discipleship with Timothy, but Timothy sat through all the classes that he taught in every church where he went. Timothy sat under the preaching of Paul every day of the week, probably. He was he had followed his teaching. He also had followed his conduct. You live with somebody 24-7, you... Get past all the facades, all the, the images that people want to put up in front of you. You see who they really are. You see, you see how they live in the ups and downs of life. You see, Timothy was able to see Paul being obedient in all ways, in all areas of life. But he also was able to see Paul's sin in all areas of his life. How did Paul deal with that sin? And how did he deal with his sin towards others? Timothy was able to Follow Paul so that he could see how what Paul taught was integrated with how he lived. And then Paul mentions, he says, Timothy, you've, been, you've followed me and you've seen my aim in life. That becomes obvious when you spend a lot of time with somebody. What are their hopes? What are their dreams? What are their goals? What are their plans? What do they live for? What gets them up in the morning? What motivates them? Timothy was able to see Paul's heart, his aim in life. He goes on to say, Timothy, you've seen my faith, my patience. And the word patience there means particularly patience with people. You've seen my love. Timothy had been able to see how Paul's faith in Christ and commitment to Christ led to him loving and serving others as Christ first loved and served him. What a contrast with the description of the false teachers that Paul gave back in the beginning of this chapter, back in verses 2 through 5. Last week we saw how the false teachers were lovers of self and lovers of money and lovers of pleasure. And then Paul mentions his steadfastness. And that word steadfastness means endurance. Enduring through difficult circumstances, difficult trials, difficult sufferings. And then he mentions particularly persecutions and sufferings. Timothy was able to see day in and day out that Paul was willing to pay the price for what he preached. He saw his commitment to Christ, he heard the teaching of Christ, and he knew that Paul was willing to give up anything that Christ asked him to give up for the sake of the gospel. Paul mentions particularly Lystra, which was Timothy's hometown. That's where Paul met Timothy and led him to Christ. That's where Paul at first mentored Timothy was in Lystra. Antioch and Iconium were nearby towns. These are places where Timothy could have seen Paul's ministry in that first missionary journey. And if you remember the story from Acts chapter 14, when Paul came to Lystra, he preached the gospel, and then he healed a man who had been crippled from from birth, um, and he healed and made him well. And then the people began to worship Paul and Barnabas, and they laid gifts and sacrifices at their feet. And Paul says, no, no, you must not do that. But then, just to show how fickle the hard heart of mankind can be, they they turned, the Jews came and and infected their thinking and, and they very quickly turned against Paul and they took him out to stone him. And they stoned him to the point where they thought he was dead and they left him for dead. This is the kind of suffering for the gospel that Timothy probably witnessed in his hometown of Lystra. Paul's teaching, his conduct, his goals, his faith, his love and steadfastness, it remained unchanged when his freedom and his possessions and his life were threatened by the enemies of the gospel. You see what I'm saying is that that Timothy was able to not only hear Paul's teaching, but to see how that teaching had changed Paul's life and what, what high value that teaching had to Paul himself that he was willing to give up anything for the sake of the gospel. You see, that's the danger of false teachers today. Back in the beginning of this chapter, we saw Paul warned about false teachers who creep into households. Remember that phrase? That false teachers creep into households. And that's one of my biggest concerns. I love the, 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 the technology and the media that we have, we have access to these days, but it is so easy for false teaching to creep into our households today. If you've got the internet or you've got the television, you've got easy access for false teachers to come into your home and to corrupt your understanding of the truth. None of us has the Apostle Paul to mentor us. I wish we did. But God has given us the teachers of the word that we need. All of us, God has been faithful. He's given us the gift of faith. If your faith is genuine, God gave you that gift and he gave you teachers. He gave you mentors. He gave you Bible study leaders. He gave you Sunday school teachers. He gave you preachers of the word. He gave you parents who taught you the word or siblings that taught you the word. Friends who taught you the word. God has been faithful to give you teachers to build your faith. In our worship services, we give you a moment of silence at the beginning so that you can prepare, pray and prepare your heart to worship. And then shortly after that, we give you a minute of silence so that you can pray and confess your sins. So I'm going to do something kind of unusual in my preaching. I've never done it before, but I'm going to give you a moment of silence because I want to give you the chance in this Thanksgiving week to just pause for a moment in the middle of our sermon to, to, to just thank the Lord. For those spiritual leaders, teachers, mentors, Bible study leaders, Sunday school teachers that have imparted the word to you, let's take just a moment. I'm going to give you a minute of silence so that you can just remember those people that have impacted your life and thank the Lord for them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the gift of faith and those whom you have sent into our lives to build that faith, to protect it, to strengthen it. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Connell times my sermon. I want that minute subtracted from my sermon. (laughs) Um, So, the gift of teachers, but God has also made clear in his word that a teacher is only as good as what he teaches. Some of those false teachers that Timothy was dealing with, I'm sure were very gifted teachers. I'm sure many of them were very committed to their disciples. But if they're not teaching the right thing, then they're worthless. And that's why Paul ends this passage by pointing to the most important gift that God has given us to strengthen our faith and that is that trustworthy foundation of our faith which is the word of God. Paul says in verses 14 and 15 to Timothy Timothy continue in what you have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings the foundation of faith You know, we have a lot of builders of our faith sent by God, just sinners like you and me, who have been gifted and prepared and to to build our faith. But the foundation of our faith is the truth, which is the word of God. Paul says to Timothy, From childhood you have known the sacred writings. The word literally means from infancy. Timothy had grown up in a house. What a blessing it is. If you have had a house where the word of God was faithfully taught by your parents and you were taken to a biblically faithful church, be thankful. That's what Timothy had. From infancy, he had been taught the sacred scriptures. Back in chapter 1, we heard about his grandmother, Lois, who was a woman of faith. His mother, Eunice, who was a woman of faith. And we saw how they were faithful to present the truth of the scriptures to Timothy from infancy he taught, he calls them the sacred writings I want you to notice the terminology he uses here he first of all calls the scriptures the, the Bible uh, of, of Timothy's day he calls it the sacred writings which the Jews of that day and the Jewish Christians would have known to mean the Old Testament scriptures the Jews the apostles and Jesus himself believed that the Old Testament was the very Word of God That it was, in modern terms, we have come up with theological terms like inerrant, infallible. It was without error. It was wholly sufficient. It could be to be trusted. Every jot and tittle in the Old Testament was to be trusted as God's revealed truth to us. Jesus believed that. And I'm appalled by so many today that say they believe in Jesus but don't believe in the Word of God. They Accept Jesus, but they don't accept what Jesus believed about the Bible, the Old Testament, which it was, it was the Word of God, the very Word of God. Paul makes it clear that the Old Testament scriptures, he says, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Isn't that an amazing statement? I mean, we have people today who call themselves New Testament Christians. Paul says the Old Testament has enough truth, enough revealed truth from God for you, for you to have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter five, verse 46, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Every part of the Old Testament points to Christ. It reveals to us who he was promised to be and who he, what he was promised to do. Everything you need to know, was promised to us in the Old Testament. That's why in Luke 24, where it talks about after Jesus was raised from the dead and he met with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, it says to them in in Luke 24, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus revealed himself to his people in the era of the Old Testament through the scriptures. One of the best things that happened to me as a new believer, I talked about my first year in college, my first semester in college, I was a brand new believer, I didn't know anything about the Bible, didn't know any theology, I went to college, went to a Christian college and first semester, first Bible course I had to take was Bible 101, which was a survey of the Old Testament. And I know we tend to think, well, you've got a new believer who doesn't know anything, let's take him to the book of John or let's take him somewhere in the New Testament. It was the best thing that could have been done for my life to build a foundation of the Old Testament perspective on who Jesus is. The survey the Old Testament took me from creation to see Jesus as the creator, took me to the fall to show why I need Jesus so much, took me to the covenant promises given to Abraham, so that I would know that my hope is only in God making a promise to do something for his people to save them. Something to do with what he had promised to Adam and Eve that one day someone would come to crush the head of the serpent and deliver God's people. To be able to read all those complicated passages about the Levitical priesthood and the sacrifices and the tabernacle and the temple and for me as a new believer to have these godly professors show me this was all about Christ. It's all about who he is. Who he, who he came to be. Who he came to, what he came to do for us. All these things pointed to Christ. When David took the throne. They showed me how this was pointing to Christ in his eternal throne. This is why... Paul was able to say to Timothy, from the time you were an infinite, you were taught the revealed word of God by your faithful parents, grandparents, so that you would know the truth, so that you would know God. And so Paul says in that same chapter I mentioned before, 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul compares the church to the temple. And he talks about himself as a builder, a gift to the church. And he talks about himself as a builder starting in verse 10. Let me read to you verses 10 and 11. He says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the message of the Old Testament. And Paul says, Timothy you have been taught the scriptures. You have been taught about Christ from the time you were an in infinite. And that is the foundation of your faith. And then Paul goes on to include the witness of the apostles in verses 16 and 17. Very familiar verse. All scripture is breathed out by God. There is nowhere in God's word where he more clearly states to us the unique authority and the unique power of the Word of God. Paul uses the word scripture here. He had referred to the Old Testament as its sacred writings. But he uses the word scripture and when you come to the New Testament you realize that the apostles weren't only referring to the Old Testament sometimes when they're referring to scripture. They were including their own writings because they understood what Christ had called them to do. They were the prophets of the, of the New Testament church. You had the prophets of the Old Testament church in Israel. The apostles were called by Christ to be the prophets of the New Testament church. And they were fully aware of this authority that they had. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul describes his own authority and how it was received by the church in Thessalonica. And he says this. Uh, this is First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul understood that he was, had the authority of a prophet that when he said, thus says the Lord, what he said and what he wrote that was to be a part of scripture was to be taken with full authority as any other part of scripture. Interesting little passage at the end of 2 Peter, the Apostle Peter refers to Paul's writings as scripture. Listen to this, listen carefully what he says. This is 2 Peter 3 verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. These there are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. The apostles understood what Jesus was saying to them when he said, when he, it says in, in, in the gospel account, it says that Jesus breathed on them after his death and resurrection. He breathed on them and said to them, He said, said, um, receive the Holy Spirit. He connected the breath of God to their calling to speak for the, to be the spokesman of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul creates a word here. God breathed. Most of the more recent translations translate it very literally. God breathed. Some of the older translations use the word inspired, but inspired is not an adequate word to communicate what Paul wanted to communicate. I mean, you can talk about a poet being inspired by a, a, a beautiful sunrise to write a piece of poetry. That's a different kind of inspiration. The kind of inspiration that Paul is talking about is something that was unique. It was a unique gift given to the prophets and the apostles so that we would have the written word of God. And he used the word god breathe." the word inspire means to breathe into something. And that's actually, that just illustrates the problem with the word. Because most liberal scholars, that's what they'll say, is they'll say that this book was written by men and, and it's flawed and full of errors and, and wrong ideas. But sometimes God will breathe into it and so that the scriptures can actually be helpful to some people. That it's kind of an existential thing. That's what a lot of liberal professing teachers of the word will say. But that's not what God, that's not what Paul said. Paul created the word God breathed. It's the only place you'll find it used. In other words, he's trying to say the words that you read in scripture are directly from the mouth of God. He couldn't have said it more clearly. These apostles spoke as the prophets spoke of old when they say thus says the Lord. And Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 20 and 21. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The scriptures are God-breathed. The apostles and their associates wrote the scriptures, yes. They wrote out of their own personalities, they wrote out of their own temperaments, they wrote out of their own experiences, their own cultures, their own circumstances, but the Holy Spirit orchestrated all those things so that when they put pen to paper, what was written down was exactly what the Holy Spirit of God wanted for us to know and to have until Christ comes back again. And that same Holy Spirit that oversaw that whole process so that we would have the very word of God, is also given to us to protect, to preserve the transmission of that word from generation to generation so that we have a reliable Bible so that we can look to this and know that God has spoken to us. And this is all we need to know for faith and life. I go on about this because Paul does. That's how he ends this. He wants Timothy to know that yes, God has given him teachers and mentors, but his faith is built upon the foundation of God's word. And you must be confident in God's word in order to grow in your faith. You cannot be strong in faith without being strong in your conviction that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, and fully sufficient word of God that it's sufficient for all of faith in life. And no teacher is trustworthy if he does not hold to that same conviction. All teachers in your life must be held accountable to this word, all teachers. Let me just end with one last comment. From my own personal experience, I have known quite a few people who I thought made a credible profession of faith, who walked with the Lord from everything I could observe, believed all the right things, talked all the right ways, did all the right things, but eventually fell away and renounced their faith in Christ, said they didn't believe it anymore, didn't stop following Christ, and have wandered away. Of all those people, there's always been different circumstances, different situations, But in all those cases, there were two things that were consistently true. One is that they put themselves under the influence of untrustworthy teachers. And secondly, they began to doubt the scriptures. Everybody I've ever known that has fallen away from the faith, it's always been those two things have always been part of it. They put themselves under the teaching and influence of untrustworthy teachers, and they began to doubt and increasingly doubted the authority of the word of God and so I close with what Paul says again in verse 14 continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it may God protect our faith preserve our faith strengthen our faith that we might stand by faith until Christ comes again let's pray father We just want to end in this week of Thanksgiving by thanking you for these teachers again, these mentors, these preachers of the word who have so faithfully taught us and shaped us and molded us. But Lord, what made them great, what made them powerful, what made them so influential was their commitment to the very word of God. Thank you that they built a solid foundation in our lives. And Lord, we trust you to maintain that faith that you have given until Christ comes to take away faith and replace it with sight. We pray in Christ's name, amen.